They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling brought to you and powered by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash two-man power trip with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You can try it again at audibletrial.com. With that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Mr. Primetime, John Paz. And John, today we happen to be privileged to be joined by one of the greatest members of one of the greatest wrestling families that there's ever been, and that is Bruce Hart. Bruce Hart, of course, has done it all. He's been a booker, he's wrestled, he's trained guys, but... As always, uh, with the Hart family, there is, you know, some bit of controversy brewing, and uh, when it comes to our questions, we might get our most detailed answers to date uh, from Bruce, and reflecting back on our discussion with Bruce, what are your overall impression of Bruce's take on the WWE today, and actually the entire pro wrestling scene? Well, yes, Chad, Bruce Hart was probably the most candid and the most detailed guest that we've ever had on the show, and it was quite an honor to have, you know, somebody of his distinct, um, I guess you would say, legacy, if you will, on the show. The Hart family name is just so synonymous with the business, and I'd put the Hart name up against any name ever in the history of the business, the Guerreros, the McMahons, whoever. I'll put the heart name up against them any day of the week. And Bruce was just great. My overall impressions on Bruce was just love listening to him talk. He had such detailed answers. And uh, I love, you know, you just give him a topic and boom, he can go off on it. And he could talk about it from many, many angles and many different distinctions. And just so good to hear from him. And um, I just love all of his opinions. I just I just think he's a great, great guest uh, for the show. And my take on his uh, almost like you would say my take on his take as he was talking about the business today and, and wrestling today and the, and the WWE today. It's just that I kind of agree with him. Uh, less people are watching wrestling today than they ever have before. And who's the number one thing in the, in wrestling? And that's WWE. So when you really think about it, WWE is, yes, they're the biggest thing, but are they hurting the business just as much and I would have to say yes because so many people that used to watch wrestling don't watch it anymore and there are so many things that can be done and WB can change and they can do a little bit better do it a little differently just to get those fans back because I mean boy whew, I mean you're talking about millions upon millions of fans that no longer watch the business that used to watch wrestling so I mean Bruce is dead on on that and uh, I really think that uh, something needs to change, and he, you know, he kind of say, says it to in the interview, as you'll hear. But uh, something needs to change in the business for uh, for for us and uh, for 
you know everyone else to get the fans back into it. I don't know what it is or how, but um, Bruce has some pretty good ideas on what the business needs to do to change. You know, Bruce was quite candid about his feelings on the release of the upcoming Owen Hart DVD and also quite vocal about the fact that the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, the Dynamite Kid, whom together form the British Bulldogs, and also Owen aren't inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. But with the release of this Owen Hart DVD coming, which, you know, it's pretty pretty anticipated. They've been talking about it for a long time. Do you think now the WWE is just capitalizing again on the death of Owen Hart, or are they actually doing something that the fans have been clamoring for, and that is embracing his legacy? Oh, yes, yes. He was quite candid, for sure, about the Owen Hart DVD and what he thought of them putting out the DVD. And it's funny the way he words it because he kind of says the good with the bad. And obviously he talks about Martha as well and how she's totally against it. And, you know, basically from from, uh, the brother's perspective, from the Hart family perspective of what he thinks about the Owen DVD in general. And to be honest, myself, I mean, I'm kind of split on it too because Bruce is right. I mean, it does embrace the legacy of Owen. I mean, you'll hear more from him than than I'm telling you now, but um, just my little take on it here. uh, It does embrace the legacy of Owen Hart, and I feel like his name gets to live on for that. But are they also capitalizing and trying to make money off of of Owen, you know, after his death? I mean, it's hard to say. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Obviously, it wouldn't make the DVD just honor him. Obviously, they're trying to make money off of it. Uh, Obviously, Martha... If the initial report was said that she was uh, for it, obviously she's all against it. And it seems like the Hart family in general is a little bit split on it. But all in all, you'll hear Bruce's opinion if he's for it or against it or not. But he's got some great, great take on that, and I really enjoyed him talking about that. But one thing he's even more vocal about is Owen not being in the Hall of Fame. He he just says it's a shame, and I totally, totally agree. It's, it's pretty... Uh, pretty amazing that he's not i know martha would have nothing to do with it but i feel like if you really want to honor him he should be in the hall of fame and boy does he have a lot to say about the dynamite kid and the british bulldog as well and how they should be in the WWE hall of fame which is basically a no-brainer and we go into how a ton of wrestlers all over the world are almost making a petition out of the british bulldog david boy smith being a hall of fame but to be honest on my take on it is British Bulldog definitely in the, should be in the Hall of Fame. No doubt about it. Owen should be in the Hall of Fame. But before those two, Dynamite Kid needs to be in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. He's got to be, if he's not the top, he's got to be in your top five, top ten of in-ring workers of all time. So I think Dynamite deserves to go in. And boy, does Bruce have a lot of great, great stories about his time with the Dynamite Kid. Who, who oh, by the way, Bruce was responsible for bringing over to the States. All right. Now, before we throw it over to the interview and before we hear from the legendary Bruce Hart, and please, I urge you to strap in and listen because it is quite the talk. Bruce is fantastic and gives us such great insight into uh, the questions that we did ask him. But before we throw it to the Bruce interview, I just want to ask you, John, what would you say Bruce's legacy and actually what the Hart family legacy is overall in the professional wrestling industry. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people just, you know, when you think of the Hearts and the Hart family, obviously you think of Stu Hart and obviously you think of the the Hart Dungeon and obviously Owen and Brett are the first two names that come to mind, but a lot of people forget about Bruce. He wrestled for over 30 years and he was the head trainer at the Hart Dungeon 
for a long, long time, and he continues to be a trainer with the the Hart Brothers Academy, the university, if you will. So I feel like uh, perhaps Bruce is a little underrated in the fact that uh, he isn't remembered as fondly as Brett Nowen, obviously, because of their in-ring credential and their in-ring resume, but you cannot forget about his job as a teacher and a trainer and basically being the the forefather if you will of the of the uh, heart dungeon because he's been training guys for 40 years i mean it's just amazing and just you just think of uh, all the guys that came through you know and bruce goes into detail about each guy that went through um, canada and, and uh, stampede wrestling and the heart dungeon he goes through it in great great detail really really in, enjoyed that and just a few names that just come to mind when you think of it and people might not realize it but just think of this Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit, I mean, two of the greatest of all time, came through under Bruce's watch. So I feel like he's perhaps a little underrated uh, in that aspect. Very nice, very nice. And once again, our episode today is brought to you by Audible.com, and you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash twomanpowertrip, or you can go to our website and right over good old JR's head, there is a link to Audible on the website, which Primetime will send you into the proper place to get to that uh, download link, and it's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, and you can try it at audibletrial.com slash twomanpowertrip. Now, Primetime, I'm going to turn it over to you, and if you could give us a suggestion when they go to audibletrial.com slash twomanpowertrip, what would you send them to go download and also give us a little two-man power trip of wrestling business. Yes, sir. Audible. Yes. As Chad talked about, it is a great, great service. You can go to audible.com, but we please encourage you to go to audibletrial.com slash two-man power trip. And I highly, highly recommend when you go for that trial, that free 30-day trial, Check out the Daniel Bryan Yes book, his improbable journey to the main event of WrestleMania. It's an amazing, amazing listen. It's an amazing read if you if you read the book. I mean, it's just awesome. So I highly recommend the Daniel Bryan Yes book. Also, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, please subscribe to us on YouTube. We are forever putting up great, great clips. Recently, one with Kamala talking about Hulk Hogan not being racist and Vince McMahon perhaps being racist, so check that out. And also check out the one with Glacier talking about the NWO and the backstage politics in WCW. So you really, really want to check that out. Excuse me, check that out. And don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And now, without any further ado, please enjoy a great episode with the man who ran the Heart Dungeon for many, many years. A great coach, a great teacher, a great trainer, and a man that wrestled for over 30 years, bringing the Heart family name to the next level, along with his brothers, Owen and Brett. He is none other than Bruce Hart. Please enjoy. Awesome. Well, few last names are synonymous with the wrestling business. You have the Von Erichs, the Crockett's, the Jarrett's, the McMahon's, and of course, our guest tonight's family, the Hart's. 
Not only are they recognized globally for the legacy of their fathers and brothers, but for being the genius behind Stampede Wrestling. And even still to this day, having the hearts marked can be seen all throughout the wrestling business just by looking at the WWE main roster. So let's head down to the dungeon as we welcome in Bruce Hart to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. It's John and Chad. Is that right? Correct. Yep. So, so Bruce, yeah. uh, you know, one thing that we can always uh, depend on is having the hearts there in the wrestling business. You guys have such a mark, obviously, uh, for the history your family has contributed. But recently uh, there was something in the news about uh, DVD being produced about your brother Owen and uh, the WWE, similar to the Hart Family Legacy DVD that came out a few years ago, you know, parties not being so happy about it. But what do you think an Owen Hart DVD finally coming out means to uh, the fans that get to see the great gifts that Owen had while he was alive? Um, I, I have uh, mixed feelings about it. You know, I'm, uh, I'm pleased for the fans that Owen's legacy and his memory and uh, all of that is being perpetuated and... Uh, recognized um at the same time you know i uh i never quite you know i, I have mixed feelings about the motives of the wwe you know i uh i've had some uh dialogue with vince and some of the other people in there and you know i i'm frankly offended or uh you know uh disenchanted that the uh wwe to date hasn't seen fit to uh, induct Owen into the Hall of Fame or my brother-in-law, Davey Boy Smith, or another very good friend of mine who I, uh, you know, launched out here, Dynamite Kid, you know, those are three of the, you know, the very best uh, cutting-edge performers of their generation, maybe of all time, you know, the guys that... Uh, you know, when they were starting, everyone was, uh, wow, you know, these guys are, you know, raising the bar and they're, uh, you know, doing some incredible stuff and they, they were a credit to the business. And there's an old saying, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, you know, if, if such is the case, you know, they're among the most imitated and, uh, you know, I... Frankly, I haven't seen anyone duplicate or top them. You know they were, but so you know, it, I'm not happy that those guys are not in the Hall of Fame yet. They've seen fit to induct a myriad of other uh, people. You know, no offense to Medusa, for example, but the only it, to me, it's uh, somewhat of a travesty when. Medusa's main claim to fame is taking the WWE uh, world title and throwing it in a garbage can on WCW Nitro, yet she's embraced and welcomed into the Hall of Fame with open arms, and uh, no offense to the Bushwhackers, you know, they're old friends of mine, and they started and uh, launched their North American careers up here in Calgary and all like that, but you know uh, something uh, egregiously wrong with them being in the Hall of Fame. That's like having the damned uh, San Diego chicken or 
Max <laughs> Patkin, the uh, you know the whatever clown uh, you know in the Hall of Fame, but uh, not having uh, Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle, like you know. So you know, I, I uh, and uh, WWE can't you know claim that uh, they. Uh, it hasn't been brought to their attention. It hasn't been mentioned to them or anything like that, you know. I suspect or suppose there's some, uh, you know, perceptible rationale in Owen's situation. I think, you know, I, I think they're obviously uh, apprehensive about uh, backlash from Owen's widow, Martha, you know, so I... Uh, but as for Dynamite and uh, Davey, you know, I have no idea why the hell they're not in the uh, Hall of Fame. So, but um, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies. You know, I've I've uh, spoken, outspoken in the past on uh, some of the you know glaring inconsistencies in in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. You know, they if you know. It, in recent years, they seem to have, uh, I think, more to put themselves over than anybody else, but they've chosen to uh, induct some non-WWE uh, people, you know, like, uh, you know, some of these, uh, my dad and some of these, uh, Gordis George and some of these people, but if they're so inclined, if they're choosing to do that, then... Uh, why don't they uh, induct Luthez, for example, you know, uh, Strangler Lewis or Frank Gotch or some of these iconic legends and builders, you know, that really were, uh, you know, of their era. They were like the Jim Thorpes and the Red Granges and the Bronco Nagurskis, if you were talking a, a football parallel or something like that. But, you know, they those, those guys are glaring by their, their omission from the Hall of Fame, in fact, so much so that they, uh, you know, them not being in the Hall of Fame tends to diminish, you know, uh, any true wrestling fans, you know, uh, respect for that Hall of Fame, I would think, you know, if I was going to the Baseball Hall of Fame and they're, you know, telling me that Babe, Babe Ruth's not in it or Joe DiMaggio or Mickey Mantle or Ty Cobb or Honus Wagner is not in it because he was ugly and didn't fit the mold or some damn thing. You know, I'd, you know, sneer and any, any uh, fan would uh, sneer at that, you know. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, and I've, I've uh, campaigned for a long time to Vince and, uh, and some of those people about that, you know, and the fact that, uh, you know, now they're talking about doing a, a DVD or some damn thing, you know, uh, you know, I would hope if they do choose to do that, that they, uh, you know, choose to give the money to charity if there is any, or give it to Owen's wife and let her give it to charity or some such thing, you know, but, uh, I don't know. I, I always, you know, I, I'm, um, and I always, I hate to sound like one of these, uh, embittered or, you know, some kind of outsider, you know, uh, 
denouncing something because I'm maybe not in it, but um, that's not really the case. You know, I've, I've uh, you know, seen a lot of, you know, injustices and things that uh, don't sit right with me. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, think one of the problems, unfortunately, with the wrestling business these days, uh, all too many people from the wrestling fraternity have this flickering, you know, kind of unrealistic uh, notion that they better not say anything uh, detrimental or negative about anybody in Connecticut or whatever because it might jeopardize their job security. And I suspect 99% of those poor bastards won't get, you know, uh, given the time of day if they, you know, it's sort of, you know, so that that sort of uh, annoys me, though. That uh, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, the WWE should be endeavoring to you know kind of uh, do what's right, you know, for you know the wrestling fan base. The, you know, the fans are what really make it. Uh, you know, and they they should be the ones who should be, you know, whatever decisions they make should, uh, you know, be uh, with that taken into utmost consideration. And all too often I don't see that, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, I don't even want to go into uh, a derogatory uh, dissertation on the uh, people that are in the Hall of Fame that, uh, to be quite honest, have no effing business being in that damn Hall of Fame as opposed to the people that are not in it for whatever reason, you know. So, but anyway, that's my uh, <laughs> short uh, dissertation on the, uh, the Hall of Fame and the Owen and all like that. You know, I, uh, if, you know, if nothing else, I'm, you know, somewhat pleased that there's been a little, you know, kind of, uh, Somewhat of a bridge over troubled water with uh, with the hearts in the WWE, and you know, I, I thought it was even a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, even taking into consideration what I just said, but when they chose to induct my dad into the Hall of Fame, you know, I thought it was belated. You know, and all too often I don't want to digress into another tangent, but. <laughs> It's perplexing to me that uh, some of the people that are inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, uh, you know, the obvious question I ask: What the hell took so long? For example, Randy Savage or some of those guys, you know, or and as you guys know, and uh, the most uh, people in the inside know, there's a lot of political dynamics that obviously predicate these decisions, but. Uh, it still uh, doesn't reflect well on them. Ultimately, it comes across as kind of petty and uh, you know, you know, these ulterior agendas and crap. You know, like uh, like Randy Savage should have been inducted uh, while the poor son of a bitch was still alive. You know, not uh, after the fact. You know, like to me that you know, kind of was hollow or pissed me off when uh, you know it. Ultimately, you know, it's like, uh, geez, uh, you know, I have no idea exactly what 
issues or whatever the hell there was uh, beforehand or whatever. But uh, you know, it, it, it uh, didn't sit well with me. Or and even now, you know, I I'm not sure what the deal is, but I'm told that Hogan is no longer in the Hall of Fame. You know, and uh, I'm not sure if that's how that even works. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and taking my ball and going home, or I don't know, even know how that works. You know, like if say uh, OJ, uh, <laughs> as far as I know, the uh, the uh, Hall of Fame in Canton hasn't <laughs> rescinded his membership. Maybe it has, <laughs> but uh, if they've kind of let OJ stay in the damn hall, and poor old Hulk, you know, uh, you know, is. Uh, <laughs> excommunicated for, you know, some uh, ill-conceived comments, you know, that wasn't even, re- you know, his actions were more reflective that he was, you know, uh, live and let with, with blacks, whites, or whatever, you know, and whenever I've been all around Hulk, he's never been anything like a racist or anything, you know, but he, he's, you know, purged or disowned or whatever, you know, and then uh, it's a, I don't know, there's a lot of those types of things that, uh, you know, ultimately they don't reflect well in the WWE, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, if you're, uh, you know, kind of uh, evidencing all this inconsistency and, you know, um, all that other, you know, ultimately tends to diminish the propriety of whatever the hell you're seeking to, uh, you know, make yourself appear to be, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. And, you know, I'll tell you what, you you hit it right off the, uh, right out of the park with the first thing you said, and that was that Dynamite is not in the Hall of Fame and and Davy Boy is not in the Hall of Fame, and not to mention, of course, your brother Owen. But with Davy Boy, it's actually pretty interesting that there's, you know, national petitions circulating for the WWE to put him in, to the Hall of Fame, and it's not like they have had any shortage of opportunity, but it seems like when it comes to this DVD release, in a weird way that they leaked it, you know, out to a uh, wrestling DVD website, but also the fact that, you know, they were I'm sure they were pretty aware that uh, Martha was not going to be very happy about the project coming to light, and that recently the Hall of Fame induction has been linked to, uh, you know, timed DVDs and the release of DVDs. So not to say yeah, that it's something so that they could be so planning, but... Yeah, that's exploitative, that's just materialistic, uh, you know, whatever, you know, if that's the case. I'd suggest that to them, you know, several years ago, you know, they gave me some kind of lame rationale, you know, uh, about Owen, you know, they're, you know, apprehensive or whatever about Martha and all like that, but... I said, well, you know, uh, it would be that much easier for you guys if you're going to induct Owen, maybe to induct him in the same class or some kind of, uh, you know, uh, a triage with Davy and Dynamite. You know, they were all kind of, you know, from the same, you know, Stampede Wrestling and Owen and Davy were a tag team quite often. Davy was part of the ostensible heart foundation at least when they did that uh you know big thing back in 97 with 
Brett and Owen and Anvil and Davey and Pillman and all like that. So I said, you know, that would give you, make it that much easier if you, you know, uh, inducted them all together, you know, and then you have less, uh, you know, backlash for Martha if you maybe just inducted Owen individually, you know, it looked like she'd have more grounds to uh, bitch about it and claim that you're exploiting exploiting Owen or whatever, but, you know, they, uh, they didn't even, you know, they didn't even uh, dignify whatever the hell I said with uh, response, you know, so I, I sort of, uh, you get a little bit tired of, you know, uh, that type of uh, arrogance from them, you know. But that's, uh, I guess, nothing new, you know. I'm not the first person that's used that word in reference to some of the uh, omnipotent, uh, you know, geniuses in Stanford there, you know. Definitely. Now, obviously, when we talk about the hearts, you can't talk about the hearts without mentioning the infamous heart dungeon. And who better to talk to about the heart dungeon than the main trainer of the dungeon for many, many years, of course, you. And there's been so many greats that came out of there, obviously, Brett and Owen being, you know, two to the biggest ones. But what was it like being with, uh, you know, your father, Stu, and, and training in a dungeon? And, you know, did you foresee it becoming the legendary dungeon that everyone looks back upon and just, you know, looks at in awe? Yeah, it's... It, it, it's um <laughs> seems like everything is uh bittersweet, you know, that maybe seems to be mm. uh, the operative word of the day, but uh yeah, it was tremendously uh satisfying intrinsically, uh you know, I I'm a school teacher as well as being uh whatever I've done in wrestling, but one of the ultimate intrinsic satisfactions out of teaching is just seeing you know the uh, people that you've taught, the uh, students or people that come in there, kind of uh, wide-eyed, impressionable uh, wannabes or whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, that's that's the ultimate satisfaction as a teacher to see them, uh, you know, uh, learn their craft and go through all the formative stages of, wrestling or whatever else they're endeavoring to learn and uh, listening to all these little things. And uh, I've said it many times to my students, but one of the key things with wrestling that seems to be all too often lost in the translation is, you know, all these little subtleties. That's, in my estimation, what separates the... uh, the good workers from the great workers, you know, it's all these little seemingly incidental things that, uh, you know, uh, don't appear to be that, uh, you know, critical or important. Those those are the things that separate a dynamite kid from uh, a John Morrison or, you know, uh, set an o- separate an Owen Hart from uh, maybe, a, you know, one of these uh, seemingly promising uh guys who's up and coming and then the next thing you turn around they're you know gone you know you know what the hell happened to them and but um that that was one of the things that really uh you know was key down in the dungeon and that another another thing that really uh was, was a huge part of the learning process was down there was uh respect 
you know, uh, that was one of the first things you and my dad or whoever down in that dungeon was, uh, you know, respect for the wrestling business, respect for yourself, respect for your opponent, and respect for the fans who were uh, ultimately paying your salary. And uh, all too often, and that was one of the things that really, uh, you know, was instilled over and over and over again, you know, uh, and that, that was even the rationale or back in the day in the dungeon when those guys would get stretched or you know uh, go through the uh you know pretty punishing rigorous initiation down in the dungeon it was uh you know trial by fire and that type of thing but ultimately it was about instilling respect for the wrestling business and uh by that token, you had a, you know, uh, it was instilled in you that you were going to defend and uphold the uh, ostensible respect and propriety of the business and all of that. And that was far more prominent or, uh, you know, uh, important, I guess, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know. Was, but that was uh, one of the things that made those guys what they were, you know, and that's one of the things I uh, I think needs to be reinstilled in the business these days, you know, and uh, WWE uh, shouldn't be having to uh, hear it from some seemingly disgruntled, I'm not, I'm not really disgruntled, but it might come across like that, but they should be having to hear that from some guy like me, they should, uh, be, they should be preaching that gospel themselves to their wrestlers. They shouldn't be taking, uh, you know, guys who haven't paid their dues and put them in the ring because they're, you know, a friend of somebody like the Brutus Beefcake Syndrome. Or they shouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing things themselves that cheapen the ostensible respectability or propriety of the business. But more often than not, they're doing that with just, you know, all, you know, a myriad of embarrassing, stupid, ass-backward, pointless, counterproductive things, you know, everything from Adam Rose to Hornswoggle and uh, the Divas and all this other, uh, you know, uh, crap, you know, and, uh, you know, those things, uh, they shouldn't be having to be uh, told that by by me, they should be... uh, taking stock themselves and saying, you know, uh, we go to great lengths to get a certain match or whatever over, and, uh, you know, I, I'm more than willing to give props when they're due. You know, I got some guy like Kevin Owen, who I think does a hell of a job, or Cena's really upped his game, or Randy Orton, guys like that. And then on the same damn show, they'll have some elongated abortion with the Miz and uh, Miz Dow and some other, you know, uh, asinine horseshit, you know, and uh, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, it's like uh, a hot girl with skid marks on her briefs or whatever the hell, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, some of the wrestling fans might grasp that analogy maybe more than using some uh, something about uh, you know the veracity of <laughs> something or the propriety but uh, but yeah there's uh, 
a lot of that stuff, you know, and uh, I think WWE, uh, they they should have a lot more respect. You know, my dad used to say, if you don't respect yourself, how the hell can you expect anyone to respect you? Uh, I see that all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, even with Stephanie and Hunter, you know, they're supposed to, you know, I'm not sure what, you know, I think they, you know, hopefully have some ostensible rationale to this authority and uh, all that other. But, you know, to me it's, uh, you know, uh, insulting to people's intelligence, and ultimately it uh, is far more negative than positive, you know, this, you know, egregious bullshit with uh, them uh, coming out and perpetrating all kinds of miscarriages of justice and arrogance and cheating and all this other crap and then, uh, you know, on still making out like uh, the WWE universe or whatever, you know, when I hear all that, I go like, uh, if you had any other sport, you know, and, you know, and some people say, well, it's not a sport, well, effing well should be still perceived as a sport in my estimation, you know, and uh, that's, I don't want to get off on another tangent about that, but, you know, there's far too much of that crap, you know, if like, if Roger Goodell or, you know, uh, Gary Bettman or whoever was perpetrating even a fraction of some of that stuff, you know, and being that arrogant and, uh, you know, totally indifferent to the fans' opinions and all like that, you know, there would be, a, you know, a, a huge outcry, you know, and, and so... But yeah, some of those things really, uh, you know, diminish, you know, the respectability of the business. And I think, I think the business, you know, to me, it's a sign of how great the business once was or could be or whatever that it's survived and remains relatively popular uh, in spite of all the you know, many times it's shot itself in the foot or it's, you know, subjected itself to uh, all this type of embarrassment and bad press and uh, all this other, you know, like, uh, but, you know, I I ask the obvious question, uh, let's consider how much more popular and all it could be if if it, uh, you know, cleaned up its act, you know, if it had more wrestling and less bullshit. It had more guys that looked the part. It had a modern generation of Dynamite Kid and Owens and Luthezes and, uh, you know, uh, Dory Funks and guys like that instead of, uh, you know, uh, having the next generation relying on people like uh, Miz Dow and Miz and... uh, some of the other crap, the authority and all this other, you know, I think I, I, uh, I say it's a testimony to the, uh, what a great business is it is that it's survived all the crap that it's, uh, kind of, uh, inflicted upon itself. But. That is definitely true. And, and as far as the business today, there's been a couple guys that you've helped obviously train big time that are in it. Harry Smith, Tyson Kidd, Natalia, Victor from the Ascension, 
what's it been like training, you know, the guys almost like for, like you said, for this new generation where they're almost fighting against um, the machine, if you will. You want them, you know, the certain way, and, and when they get to WB, you know, who knows what they might do with, you know, those certain characters. What really pisses me off, and I'm not the only one, but, you know, I, I put a lot of uh, my heart and soul into all these guys that I trained, you know, including the ones you just mentioned, like uh, Victor or whatever, I don't know if they call him Eric's his name, but uh, Harry, TJ, uh, Tyson Kidd, Natalia, and, and some of that. But what really pisses me off, and I, I've spoke to other uh, coaches and trainers that have and, is, oh, oh uh, you know, I had, I had all those guys in, had them in the dungeon for several years, and they they were, frankly, in a lot of cases, better, you know, before than after, <laughs> which, you know, part of the arrogance down in the WWE is they, they take these guys, and there's other guys that have gone in there, like I've heard, like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and others, and they're already, uh, you know, uh, finished product, uh, developed, and all like that. And I used to hear the same from Owen. Owen was the same. Owen was an incredible worker long before he ever got to the WWE. And then, uh, you know, uh, sad to say, they gave him a bunch of these horseshit uh, personas, like, you know, that thing with high energy with Coco Beware and the, uh, the Blue Demon and the Blue Angel and the... American Eagle, and uh, you know, you know, even you know, even though one got, he did a pretty good job with the the heel thing with Brett. Uh, it was uh, totally miscast. You know, he's one of the best ba natural baby faces I've ever seen. Um, you know, and I've seen that, and I've spoke to a lot of coaches, same kind of thing, and they take these guys and uh, they get some of these. Uh, you know, idiots that uh, masquerade as, uh, you know, bookers or creative or whatever they, you know, are that in most cases are like eunuchs in a whorehouse, they know all about it, but they've never done it. You know, I get these uh, guys masquerading as, you know, creative advisors and all, you know, these bullshit names attached to them, but... Uh, that's part of the arrogance down there. They take these guys who are already finished products, great workers, and then, and then they uh, try to reconstitute them in these uh, stupid, you know, uh, illogical roles. And every now and then they rise above it like Daniel Bryan. You know, they had Daniel Bryan in all kinds of uh, idiotic, you know, uh, personas and incarnations or whatever before he ever uh, finally uh, was allowed to, uh, you know, be what he was, you know, and uh, CM Punk was the same, you know, at the Straight Edge Society and all that other bullshit, and, and I've seen that all too often, you know, it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's a sign of the arrogance of the uh, geniuses in the WWE where they have to, uh, you know, uh, take these guys. It's even the same with Brett. Uh, a lot of people forget, but Brett was a hell of a worker long before he ever got to the WWE, contrary to whatever uh, Chairman Mao or whatever, you know, uh, 
you know, you know, made out. But uh, it was about eight, ten years after Brett finally got to WWE that they uh, supposedly discovered him. You know, coincidentally or whatever, when uh, at the height of the steroid uh, scandals, and they also needed to go back to having some seemingly normal-looking people <laughs> wearing belts <laughs> and crap like that. But uh, but I've seen that all too often, you know, and uh, and even, you know, when I was alluding before to Dynamite and Davey, uh, in my uh, humble estimation, nobody in the WWE or any of the fans that ever saw them, as good as they were, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Any, any uh, one who ever saw Dynamite before will tell you he was... Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, he was maybe injured or on the uh, downhill side of his career by the time he finally arrived in the WWE. You know, he was uh, ten times better before he ever got down there, you know. But uh, still, uh, even by that token, was uh, a superlative performer down there, you know. But, you know, it's the same, you know, even Rick, you know, Rick Flair, Terry Funk, Hoss Funk or uh, whatever the hell they called or Dory, you know, they, those guys were, uh, you know, uh, you know, just a shadow of whatever they really were capable of in the WWE. You know, I, I uh, and it's it's kind of sad, you know, that uh, you know uh, a lot of people's maybe you know uh, perceptions of those guys is, you know, whatever. You know they were uh, cast as in WWE because uh, anyone who was around in the seventies tell you that Dory Funk was one of the great workers of all time. You know, yet if you ask any WWE fan, was that, that Hoss Funk or whatever the hell? You know, the poor man's uh, Hoss Cartwright or whatever the hell. You know, or or Terry Funk was uh, kind of. Uh, you know, just a, f- a flickering shadow of whatever he really was. You know, they never really. And, and same with Ric Flair. You know, uh, Ric Flair was, uh, you know, his prime or his glory days were in the uh, late seventies and early eighties. You know, not not whatever he was. Uh, you know, uh, cast as in the uh, WWE era. You know, so. But, but yeah, you see that all, all too often, you know, and it, it's uh, it's too damn bad, you know. I, I uh, but those are just some of the things that uh, you know reflect the uh, you know the state of the business. You know, I've said it for a long time. You know, the business, uh, in my estimation, one of the most critical things it needs to do. Uh, you know, they re- they. They need to re-sow the damn seeds at the grassroots, and um, you know, in the old days, there you know, there was like 30 territories, and uh, a wrestling fan could see, uh, you know, guys like the guys I mentioned, or every territory had some incredible talent, you know, and if you were a wrestling fan back in the day, you just sort of took it for granted, but every damn week in Calgary, you could see uh, Dynamite Kid or uh, Davey Boy or Brett or Owen or Pillman or Benoit or Jake or Junkyard or David Schultz or Honky Tonk or Bad News or, uh, you know, uh, 
Liger and all these guys. And uh, if you were down in Portland, you'd see Roddy Piper and uh, you'd see Rick Martell and uh, Jimmy Snuka and guys like that. And you know, it was. But nowadays, you know, they come to Calgary maybe once eight, every eighteen months or something, if and when they come. It's always a sterile, uh, lame, you know, uh, if it's not a uh, TV taping or whatever, it's, you know, uh, essentially just a big rip-off. You know, they get a bunch of uh, stale, you know, short, you know, get-in-and-get-out matches and uh, sell some, uh, it's like the circus coming to town or something, you know, and it's, you know... It's an affront to the poor damn wrestling fans. You know, they come out and they pay some, uh, you know, rip-off price for, uh, you know, to see these uh, supposed stars that they see on TV. And half the time they don't even get in the ring. And if they do, it's always just sort of a, you know, a squash match or uh, going through the motions and all that other. And, you know, know, if you had done that to any other sport, if you had... uh, Hockey, say in Calgary, they got the Flames, but they had just NHL where they played one game every 18 months or something like that, and they told, uh, you know, whoever the stars were, Mario Lemieux or Gretzky or whatever, you know, uh, you know, you don't have to play tonight, it's only Calgary or whatever the hell, you know. But <laughs> that's pretty, what, pretty much what they've done to the wrestling business. And and what they should be doing, uh, you know, I've said it for a long time, they, they should be going to great lengths to rebuilding the damned grassroots. You know, I've said it many a damn time. Uh, I have no idea what the hell Vince McMahon and whoever the hell else was behind that travesty back in the 80s and then what their mindset was other than, uh, you know, insecurity, stupidity, or arrogance. But, uh, you know, it... If uh, Major League Baseball, if so, you know George Steinbrenner back in the day uh, decided in his infinite wisdom, geez, Triple uh, A and the you know the, the Southern League or the you know these other uh, minor leagues, they're a threat to our you know we got to get rid of them and then uh, you know uh, we've got to uh, you know only have uh, you know focus on maybe a couple of big franchises but if you had done that in any other sport you know or if you call it if uh the nfl decided that college football was uh a threat you know so we got to get rid of it or nba's got to get rid of the ncaa or whatever where the hell would those sports be today you know you'd have uh no you know talent but that's essentially what the hell the wrestling business went through you know Oh, I got to get rid of Vern Gagne and the AWA. I've got to get rid of all those uh, places in Florida and Carolina and uh, St. Louis and uh, Kansas City and that Don Owens a threat to me out in Portland. I got to, uh, you know, wipe that son of a bitch off <laughs> the face <laughs> of the earth. Or Stu Hart, uh, you know, uh, he's developed some talent up there in Calgary or whatever. But uh, geez, uh, they're they're a threat. You know, we'll. Uh, Come in there and uh, you know, uh, you know, take all their best talent and uh, shut them down. You know, but what the hell was the uh, you know the benefit? You know, if those places were still running and they were supportive and interactive with the damn WWE, uh, you know, 
have to think the state of the business would be a hell of a lot better today. The biggest threat to the survival of this effing business right now is, you know, they go to all this inordinate lengths to build up these supposed superstars, you know, whether it's uh, CM Punk or Daniel Bryan or The Rock or The Undertaker or Brock Lesnar or uh, whoever the hell. But um, ultimately, you know, they're creating a problem because uh, they have nobody worth a shit to bring up to replace them. So that, of course, brings, you know, invites uh, arrogance, egotism, egocentricity, or whatever, where all of a sudden these guys say, geez, I might, uh, you know, uh, I'm indispensable, I, you know, and that's all, all too often what has happened. You know, if right now, if uh, Seth Rollins or whoever decided, geez, I, uh, I mean, uh, I'm not, I don't feel like doing a job or I don't feel like uh, being, uh, dropping a belt or, you know, you know, they, they have enough uh, ostensible, uh, you know, uh, clout that they could probably uh, squeeze you know, the guys in Connecticut pretty good and get away with it. But the best antidote to that is you got uh, 50 guys that are uh, chomping at the bit that are every bit as uh, talented and dynamic and all the other. You got those guys, uh, you know, waiting in the wings to come in. You're never going to have any arrogance because they already know that. They already know that there's a dynamite kid or an Owen Hart or a a Davy Boy or a Pillman or a whatever, you know, uh, out in Portland or out in Calgary or out in uh, Amarillo or whatever that, you know, uh, could replace them in two seconds without anyone missing a beat. And uh, so, you know, I, I hear all this, uh, you know, whistling in the dark or I perceive it to be just horseshit where they make out like the state of the business is better than ever and they throw out some bullshit ratings or they had you know had the highest ratings and all this other crap but uh you know I, just from a purely uh wrestling perspective uh i i have a great deal of trouble believing any any uh any of that horseshit rhetoric about the business being in better shape now than a ever has been, you know, whatever talent is on the uh, supposedly waiting in the wings at NXT or whatever, you know, it doesn't even hold the candle to the guys who have, uh, you know, uh, preceded them. And, you know, uh, when you have uh, guys who can't, uh, don't have that much talent, then the obvious uh, consequences uh going overboard on uh, gimmicks and contrived crap and uh, stipulation matches and all this other garbage. You know, we used to call it hot-shotting. And, uh, you know, that's all too often what's happening, you know. And uh, it's a reflection, you know, from my perspective that there's uh, not that many guys out there that are really good workers, you know, and it's not their fault, but uh, how can you take a guy and make him a great worker 
when he hasn't uh, had any opportunity to apply whatever, even if he's a great athlete, and uh, unfortunately most of them aren't great athletes, you know, uh, even if he got the best training in the world in NXT, and I don't believe they are getting that either, but uh, you still need to take him and send him out to, uh, you know, uh, someplace and let him work for a year or two and then bring him in. You can't take a guy from NXT and uh, even if he's, you know, uh, got some incredible natural ability and he looks good and he's got a good uh, whatever, you can't take them from that and put them in the WWE. You can't take a damned, uh, you know, high school football player and put him in the NHL, I mean the NFL without that transition, you know, of maybe playing four years of college or or whatever, you know. But I see that in the WWE all the time. And unfortunately, a lot of the time I see these poor sons of bitches, they, they get pushed in there. And then when they fall flat in their faces, uh, you know, which all too often they seem to do, you know, there's a whole bunch of them that seem to have come in there with a big the big push, and then uh, a few months later they're gone and nobody knows what the hell happened to uh, the John Morrisons or the uh, you know, Biggie or the uh, Dre Kellys or the Trevor Murdochs or the Lance Cates or all these other guys, you know. But it's not fair to them. He took a damn uh, kid, taught him how to play baseball a bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's uh, thrust into the World Series, and he strikes out, and everyone says, that guy sucks, you know, it's not really fair to that guy, but uh, you see that more or less happening all the time in, in the WWE, you know, and uh, because these guys can't work, as I was saying before, the, uh, oh, you know, unfortunately, they uh, resort to all this gimmicks and bullshit, you know, which is... Uh, you know, one of the biggest threats to the damn business is just the uh, proliferation of uh, garbage, crap, uh, guys, you know, uh, spewing verbal diarrhea on the mic for, you know, filling 15 minutes of the show because they can't work and uh, all this other, you know. And I, I hate to sound like some embittered, uh, cynical, uh, skeptical son of a bitch who's just uh, taking, you know, criticism or taking pot shots at the uh, geniuses in Connecticut, but uh, just as a fan and a guy who spent his whole life in this effing business, uh, it pisses me off when you see all these things being rendered that they need not be doing that don't enhance the image of the business or anything else. You know, I've said it many times, the biggest testimony to, you know, uh, this, you know, how poorly run pro wrestling and pro boxing were has been the rise of UFC. My estimation, UFC's not entertaining. It's, you know, they hype and they got Joe Rogan and a bunch of other, but for me, it's, uh, my dad used to kind of chuckle at it and tell me it was, UFC wasn't much different than uh, wrestling when he was breaking in way the hell back in the, 20s and the 30s, you know, the Strangler Lewis's and the Cauliflower Deers and and all like that, but one of the biggest reasons UFC's enjoyed the success 
that it has, I would venture to say, is the majority of their fan base are disgruntled, pissed off wrestling and boxing fans who got sick of Don King and all that bullshit and uh, got sick of all the, uh, not only open acknowledgement that it was a work and sports entertainment and all that other bullshit, but uh, just the uh, lack of wrestling and, uh, you know, they finally just said, screw this whole, you know, and, you know, I, I venture to say if wrestling had uh, done a better job of uh, presenting itself and, you know, uh, maintaining its image and all like that, I, I don't think UFC would have ever got off the ground, you know, my, you know, candid estimation. Yep, that is definitely, definitely true, and there's no doubt about it that WWE does definitely try to spin it in a certain way because right now fewer people watch wrestling than they've ever watched wrestling before. But if I and I don't blame back, the poor sons of bitches either. You know, I uh, myself included. You know, I, <laughs> I I'm uh, enough of a fan that every now and then I see a I see a good match, and I I say, great. You know, I. I like some of the stuff I liked with Kevin Owen and uh, John Cena, a bit of that. But more often than not, it goes the other way. Where I, you know, I sort of shake my head and say, uh, you know, uh, how can you expect anyone to, uh, you know, uh, buy that crap? You know, some of the uh, just idiot nonsense. Uh, you know, what really pisses me off is when you you have a great match. And it seemed like reminds you of this stupid cartoon I saw years ago about uh, a monkey on a typewriter, and it goes four score and seven years ago, and you go, whoa, you know, and then then XYG, a bunch of gibberish after that, and uh, that's all too often what I see when I'm watching WWE, where I see uh, something that's uh, really good, and I go, wow, that. You know, it's encouraging, great, you know. And then uh, next thing I'll see Hornswoggle or The Miz or, uh, you know, the great Kelly or, uh, you know, Michael Cole or whatever. And I go, okay, you know, I almost get pissed off with myself for uh, getting my hopes up type thing, you know. But <laughs> so. It certainly is not the glory days of Stampede Wrestling Back in obviously in uh, the good old days with yeah Cal in Calgary with uh, you know Stu and obviously you were a major part in that you were the booker talent developer and you played a major role but what would you um, have to say what happened behind the scenes when uh, Vince was trying to buy Stampede back in the eighties you know back uh, when you were talking uh, about that era it's like one of those. Uh, Twisted, uh, you know, I'm not sure Tennessee Williams are one of those stories that, uh, you know, it's kind of skewed and all like that. But, but yeah, I guess back in the day it was, you know, I, I was uh, excluded from all the, uh, you know, every, every in Brett and company, I guess, deduced or perceived that uh, we have to work. Uh, keep me in the dark about this because uh, I wouldn't be uh, in favor of it and I probably wouldn't have been but, but, but yeah there was some they did this thing under the table where they uh, conspired to uh, 
by uh, you know my dad's promotion. I think it was back in '84, and they had this guy who had been an old friend of Stu's and had been the booker in here back in the '60s, maybe or some. The guy named George Scott who was with WWE at that time, and uh, I think it, he was sort of. Uh, you know, used to kind of as a go-between, and in any case, they cut some deal where my dad was supposed to get a million dollars, so I was told down, and uh, 10% of the gross whenever they uh, came to Western Canada and ran in any of his towns, which at that time was like Vancouver and Edmonton, Calgary, Regina, and few other places but um but yeah in any way make a long story short and they they made out like they're doing my dad a favor you know uh taking also as part of the deal they were going to take Davy boy and dynamite and brett you know it'd be like some uh new york rangers coming out to edmonton saying oh we'll do you a favor we'll take gretzky and messier and Curry and coffee and uh, Grant Fuhr and uh, <laughs> company too will take them off your hands like they're doing you a favor or some damn thing. But uh, but that's pretty well, well what happened and and I, I was the last person to find out, you know, and I was uh, pissed about it as I should have been. But you know, ultimately they never gave my dad any of the money anyway and never gave him a penny from the, the gates or anything with all this and I think the same happened with some of the other promoters that you know were kind of uh, supposedly bought out you know and uh, some of the other places like maybe Portland and LA and Texas and Minneapolis or wherever you know I but that's that's pretty well what happens. My dad actually, uh, about a year and a half after that, he uh, he was that pissed off that he uh, decided to open up again. And uh, I, I was frankly so damn disappointed and discouraged at that time, or I didn't even bother. Uh, I told him I didn't want to be part of the relaunch, and then uh, so I think he uh, opened up again in about 14 months after the initial deal, and would have been August of '84, and then he had to open up again like October, November of '85, and uh, I remember when he reopened. Uh, you know, the crowds were lousy, and he had a, you know, a splinter crew of uh, guys that weren't half as good as uh, the crew he had before. When he had been bought out in 84, he had guys like Schultz and Brett and Dynamite and Davey and Honky Tonk and a, a bunch of those guys. And when we reopened, it was kind of like uh, a bunch of old, you know, kind of washed up journeyman and all this other. But anyway, to make a long story short, uh, I think in 86, my dad uh, approached me again and asked if I, you know, would uh, take the book again. 
business was miserable, and my mother was clamoring to get the hell out of the business. So I sort of had reservations, but I uh, took the book again, and from that point, I I took a few prospects that I had come across, which turned out to be Jushin Liger at that time as Kichi Yamada up here in uh, Hirohashi, and I, you know, uh, kind of got my brother Owen on board, and uh, I ran into this guy who was playing football for the Stampeders, named Brian Pillman, and uh, I reconstituted this big, he had been kind of a big journeyman jobber named Mike Shaw, and turned him into a sort of a tongue-in-cheek uh, thing called the Born Again Pakistani and stuff. <laughs> These guys had bombed an Air Canada plane or some damn thing. <laughs> so he became part of this thing called the Karachi Vice, which was uh, a bit of a takeoff on Miami Vice, which was a hot TV show at the time. But, but I sort of did this... Uh, Ragtag, uh, I got a guy who had been a jabroni in WWE named Barry O and uh, put a mask on him and gave him this uh, esoteric uh, gimmick called the Zodiac and uh, took this other guy who had been a sort of a, a big jabroni up here named Carl Moffat and put a mask on him and uh, Jason and Zodiac and Barry Orton was phenomenal. His promos and all, uh, real cutting edge stuff. And uh, and uh, much to my dad's delight, you know, the business took off, and we, you know, and uh, it was kind of a rebirth of Stampede, you know. It's uh, but what really uh, <laughs> pissed me off at that time was, uh, you know. WWE, uh, because Brett and Dynamite and Davey, uh, mostly Brett and Davey, were influencing Stu, but they were uh, dumping all their, uh, all of a sudden they're wanting to us to develop all these misfits that they, you know, I remember this big stiff named Outback Jack, you know, who was an abomination and uh, <laughs> a big juice freak named Ted Orsidi and uh, this guy who was uh, about as uh, inspiring as watching great paint dry named Dave Barbie and a bunch of these uh, George Skoland and and also WWE's dumping all their guys and and wanting me to train them you know and and then adding insult to injury they're uh, getting you know used to get uh, the WWE agents, uh, Chief J, Joe Scarpa, Jay Strongbow, and uh, they're bitching now. You know, you know, they had the uh, audacity in the first place to, you know, dump an Outback Jack and uh, some of these other misfits on us. But all of a sudden, I'm getting my dad saying WWE's bitching that uh, you know you're not pushing George Scullins or you. You had Outback Jack to a job for, uh, you know, uh, you know Owen or something like that. You know, that, was, that was, you know, part of the, uh, you know, the, how f- fucked up the scenario became, you know. And then, but 
and then later on after that, WWE's all of a sudden uh, coming in and uh, making out like they're doing us to a favor. Oh, oh yeah, we'll uh, we'll take Owen off your hands, or you know, we'll take Pillman off your hands, or we'll take Benoit, or we'll take uh, you know, uh, you know. And, and so that's pretty much what happened. My dad finally, after they were, uh, you know, taking all the best guys, even though, you know, we became sort of like, uh, you know, on subsidized farm team for them, you know, and at the same time, they're still, uh, you know, you know, treating me like some kind of a misbegotten Mark idiot, you know, like, I got one of my cuts. Squawking here, but, <laughs> but maybe he's maybe, got great. He's but, got great insight. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, it's it, it sort of uh, you know it goes back to what I was saying before. You know, I uh, I, I said it uh, countless times, but the best thing that WWE could be doing doing for themselves and the wrestling so-called. WWE universe, and I hate that term. You know, it sounds so pretentious and whatever. But uh, it's resowing the seeds. They're going out and uh, setting up some of these promotions and uh, different parts of the country, and uh, letting these guys develop, and you know, restoring the fan base. All that, you know, and uh, and test running ideas and you know my estimation they need to get back to uh you know some kind of uh pretense of treating it heaven forbid like it's a shoot or it's for real you know instead of you know but those are some of the things that really need to be done if the wrestling business is going to uh, survive, uh, you know, uh, my estimation, you know, it'll always, it's like a cockroach, I guess, it'll always survive in some form or another, but it sure as hell isn't uh, putting its best foot forward, or by no means is it uh, maximized its potential or whatever, you know, and way too many cooks in the kitchen down there, way too many people that are obviously not on the same wavelength, you know, you know, as evidenced by, uh, you know, some of the stuff I was alluding to, you know, you got uh, a serious, you know, pretty damn good match, and then you got followed out by uh, Hornswoggle and Vicky Guerrero, or, uh, you know, uh, you know, some of the other crap, that, you know, I haven't watched that much of it in recent times, so I cannot even, uh, you know, Make mention, of, you know, uh, talking about Hornswoggle and Vicky Guerrero, you know, I don't know, they, maybe the Adam Rose and uh, whoever the hell else are kind of their today's version of that, you know. But uh, but yeah, they need to, uh, you know, f- for want of a better term, clean up their act, you know. And um, I don't uh, I don't see that happening, you know. I. I've said it many times, you know, uh, they have this more is better 
mindset and uh my estimation is it should actually be the complete opposite you know I would have less pay-per-views, I'd have less fuck finishes, I'd have less gimmicks, I'd have less stipulation matches, I'd have less titles, less champions, less title switches, all that, you know. If and when you do something, do it for a reason and uh, hit a home run, you know. But, you know, they they, uh, they seem to have this more is better mindset, so, geez, uh We'll have a whole match, a whole card of uh, tables, ladders, chairs, extreme rules. You know, <laughs> somebody should be <laughs> saying, oh, "Oh, by the way, in the old days when you had an effing extreme rules match, it's usually the culmination of maybe six months of build-up, and there was ostensible reason for it, and you'd have it. You know, you don't just have oh, next week we're going to have cage match with." Uh, Kevin Owen and uh, Adam Rose, and uh, why don't we throw, uh, you know, uh, our truth in there too, you know, or some bullshit, you know. I, I swear, you know, I sound, sound like some kind of a, a cynical, embittered asshole or whatever, but uh, I swear that they, it almost seems to me like they just pull, you know, names or uh, what are we going to do for this match? We'll pull. You know, names out of a hat. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have a a barbed wire, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, cage match with, uh, you know, uh, the loser has to uh, wear a bra and panties or some bullshit. You know, it's like just, <laughs> you know, there's no rationale or no method to the madness. You just, you know, see this, and I go nuts when I see something. You know, that I'm living in another era or something like that. But I, I've been at WWE shows, pay-per-views, wherever, and they they have the damn cage, you know, uh, up in the ceiling or whatever, and then, then they come out and make out like, uh, you know, somebody's going to, you know, uh, something transpires, and and the, uh, now we have to have a cage match. <laughs> and going like, geez, uh, how stupid do you think these fans are, you know, like, uh, you know, you got the cage already there, you know, but, but I see that all the time, you know, it drives me nuts when I <laughs> I see uh, two guys in the uh, ring doing some kind of uh, whatever, and then the lights go down on the big screen and the music and make out like uh, some guy just spontaneously uh, came to the ring, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I... Uh, <laughs> am living in another era or, you know, I'm trying to apply too much rationale or whatever to this, you know, but uh, in the old days, you'd never have anything like that, you know, you, you used to, uh, you know, we shot angles every damn week in Calgary, but one of the things about it is it always looked unplanned and, uh, you know, there was no, uh, and you went to great lengths to kind of cover your track so to speak you know and uh that was a big part of it i i find it offensive as hell when you have some guy who uh is doing a run-in you know and they stride to the ring you know and not running or anything and everyone in the damn building knows they're hitting the ring except the two idiots in the ring who are being attacked and i'm kind of like shaking my head and saying is it just me who uh you know 
finds this insulting to your intelligence, or am I uh, living in another era, or having uh, I got my uh, head up my ass too far to understand the uh, the uh, mindset of the uh, new age or whatever the hell you know, but uh, but I don't know. <laughs> I hate to sound like I'm that cynical because. All things considered, I'm actually relatively upbeat. I'm not that uh, uh, just down on the business, but uh, it, it pisses me off when they uh, apply so little thought and they, uh, you know, seem to think that uh, they can just shove shit down people's throats and they, uh, you know, are supposed to swallow it and say that it tasted great and it was less filling or whatever the hell, too, you know. But, well, you're 100% right. So, I mean, there's nothing that we can deny that whatsoever. But I kind of so want to stick with uh, the new Stampede, if you will, after the relaunch. And that was uh, your team with Brian Pillman, Bad Company. What was it about Brian that made you two work so well together? And what, did you, what were you able to teach him so early in his career by uh, teaming up with him and showing him the ropes? You know, he, he was uh, very receptive to uh, advice. Uh, um, and I was really big on, uh, you know, maybe having been a school teacher or whatever, and I uh, I had endeavored to impart the same type of stuff to Dynamite and to Brett and Davey, and but there were some really basic rules, you know, one of which was, uh, first off, it's supposed to look like wrestling, and uh, is it football analogy, the run wrestling sets up the pass, so the the past being, uh, you know, a hot finish or a gimmick or a high spot or whatever, but it should never be the other way around where uh, the wrestling is playing second fiddle to the other stuff, and that's unfortunately all too often the case in the WWE, but there were some simple uh, rules that you operated by, uh, whatever the hell you do, have a reason, you know, if that makes any sense. You know, if you do something, uh, have a reason. Uh, you know, the build up to a climax. You know, don't be uh, having all kinds of uh, false climaxes and whatever. You know, um, simple stuff. The business is remarkably simple if you, you know, break it down. You know, uh, heels and the faces need to understand their respective roles, and the uh, the bookers need to do the same. And it should be, uh, you know, some kind of a sequential build-up on any damn card. You know, you don't have uh, the guys in the opening match, you know, trying to steal the show from the uh, main event. It's like you don't have, uh, if you had a rock concert and you got some opening act, you don't have them uh, smashing guitars and setting fire to each other and stomping on baby chicks or whatever the hell, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you know Oh, they're there. They're supposed to be the uh, the warm up, you know. And uh, but I go to any damn WWE show, and they got all the you know, and, and Raw, SmackDown, whatever the hell, you know. Every damn match is uh, going to you know out in the floor and running guys into the steps and you know interference and referee bumps and false finishes and fuck finishes and high spots and. You know, and uh, in the old days, that, that you never have that. You know, and uh, there was some method to the madness, to use a cliche. You know, but uh, 
these days, uh, that, the method to that madness all too often in, you know, the WWE is, uh, you know, categorized as flinging excrement against the wall. You know, geez, once in a while it sticks, we'll take a bow. You know, if it doesn't, we'll blame it on something else or somebody else or whatever the hell. But, uh, but, but yeah, I see a lot of that. I, I hate to sound like some embittered, cynical son of a bitch who's just uh, railing on the, uh, you know, uh, you know, all these, you know, brilliant, uh, enlightened geniuses, you know. <laughs> And if I if I sound like that, I apologize. That's not my intent. You know, I'm just trying to denigrate them or anything like that. But uh, as I said before, you know, there should be more respect for the business, and they they should at some point, you know, be a little more analytic and say, uh, what are we endeavoring to do here? What is our exact objective? You know, and uh, how are we going to attain that? You know, and uh, What's the best utilization of this guy or that guy? You know, all too often I don't believe there's any application of that whatsoever. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I've seen so many guys that I thought maybe had some potential, and they just seem to get chewed up and spit out, and uh, you know, fall by the wayside. And uh, you know, like D.B. Aussie's kid, I thought wasn't bad. I thought. Uh, Kurt Hennig's kid had a lot of potential. Joe Hennig, or you know, alias Curtis Axel, or but you know, I, I see so many guys that I, you know, I'm kind of like, geez, he looks like he might be a, you know, a pretty good candidate. Next thing I know, he's you know uh, fired or you know has disappeared from the scene. I, I see that all the time. You know, I have no idea what what transpired but uh at the same time i've seen other guys who i uh didn't find to be particularly talented charismatic compelling uh in any way shape or form and they seem to uh you know be around for years and years you know i don't know they're adroit at uh kissing sphincters or what you know but uh but I don't know, you know, and I I doubt that I'm the only guy that, you know, sees things in that way, you know. As I keep saying, I don't like to just sound like some kind of an embittered, jaundiced, you know, kind of uh, asshole that's, you know, uh, dumping on them maybe because I'm on the outside looking in or whatever the hell it might come across as. To be quite honest, that's not my intent. You know, I uh, I sort of feel like an like I have an inherent obligation just to the wrestling business. It's been pretty damn good to our family, my dad, my brothers, uh, even myself. Uh, but so I sort of you know see it in this you know analogy of like the golden goose, you know, and it's been plucked and kicked and stomped on and. You know all this other, you know, and I, I feel sort of some obligation to try to, uh, you know, uh, do something about it or for it. You know, not just uh, be uh, bitching and denigrating the uh, people that have the golden goose now, but 
I I don't like to sound like I'm just always uh, dumping on it. Anytime I appear to be, I at the very least I uh, hope I'm offering some ostensible solutions, and not just you know naming all the problems. Anyone can you know do that, but you know I've attained a lot of. I've had a lot of success in this business with developing talent and uh, a lot of ideas that, you know, uh, were spawned in my in uh, Stampede Wrestling, like the uh, triple threat matches, the ladder matches, and some of that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I'd be happy if any of those suggestions were, uh, you know, any of the things I said was ultimately benefited the damn business you don't want to be just kind of uh pointing out all the uh, things that are wrong you know there's enough of that but uh you know i I'd, I'd like to see the wrestling business uh re- restore a lot of the respectability and uh the quasi-legitimacy and and as i said before the grassroots you know you know those are things that uh, I think the business needs if it's uh, if it's going to survive. You know, and, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of other you know uh, things that seem like they're held a lot more strong and whatever and viable in the wrestling business that are no longer around. You know, uh, you know, countries or the Soviet Union or some of these huge you know, corporations and Blockbuster and all this other, you know, so it it could conceivably go down the toilet like a big turd as well, you know. So, uh, <laughs> I, I would hate to see that, but uh, I've seen all kinds of uh, sports entities, you know, where's Team Tennis t- today or, you know, where's, uh, you know, where's the XFL or where's the... Uh, World Bodybuilding Federation, <laughs> all those other things, you know. So, but but yeah, but I, did, I'd like to see the foundation of the wrestling business fortified, and uh, you know, you got to almost go back to square one, I believe. You know, you got to re re-examine the wrestling itself, from my estimation, and you got to uh, reestablish, uh, you know, the fan bases and all this other, you know, and. Not that easy, you know. It's a double-edged sword uh, these days with social media and all that other. You know, you can use it to your advantage, or on the other hand, it's uh, you know uh, one of the things that's wrong with the business too. You know that you know this all this everybody knows everything. You know, in the old days, uh, you know that would have been. Maybe detrimental, you know. On the other hand, you know, if you'd use it advantageously, maybe it's to your advantage. But it's a lot of dynamics that are different. You got to kind of recognize that and uh, endeavor to act accordingly. I guess you know. You know, Bruce. I, one thing that I, I got to ask you is the fact that you know you had some very memorable appearances on air with the WWE and, you know, in some pretty high-level storylines, but did they ever go out of their way to pick your brain? Because just talking to you in this time, I mean, you've obviously, uh, you've got your pulse on the business. <laughs> one of the most frustrating, like the last, 
think the last gig I did for WWE uh, was that thing in Phoenix, the WrestleMania, with Brett and Benny. And that uh, I was the referee for that so-called match. I use the term loosely, but um, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember they called us in. Uh, at, uh, it was about five, six hours before the match in Phoenix at the. Uh, so it was uh, Brett and all the hard kitties, uh, like Harry and TJ and Natty and all the, <laughs> all of that, and I think Vinny was there and Hunter and. I think Stephanie and uh, all like that. Michael Hayes, they had him, you know, running this finish by us, you know, about the. Uh, so, so they ran that finish by where all the heart kitties, uh, you know, this contrived crap were, were supposed to be bribed by Vince, and then Brett bribed us too, so we're like <laughs> double whores or whatever they you know. But anyway, uh, they ran it by us, you know, or I'm supposed to be the referee, and uh, Michael Hayes runs all the, uh, you know, Brett's going to hit Vince in the head with a chair and on and on. And, and, and Michael Hayes says, what do you think? And uh, I sort of waited for a sec. I wanted everyone else to say what they thought, and nobody said much. And, I said, I don't like to be, uh, you know, a cynic or, you know, it's, it's your gig. You do whatever the hell you want, you know, and I'm not, uh, but I said, for me, it's, you know, uh, that sounds like a bunch of shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like, what? Say what? You know, I said, I'm not trying to rail, but I, I, I said, it, it's not any, you know, uh, substance to it, there's no beginning or end or ebb and flow or whatever, you know. I said, just off the top of my head, you know, uh, I'm just trying to take into consideration all the dynamics here, but uh, I said, this is Brett's first match back since his near-fatal stroke, uh, however many years ago. I said, above and beyond that, you guys orchestrated some charade a month or so ago with Brett getting ambushed or injured or some crap in a behind-the-scenes limo thing that is awful. Leg or and something <laughs> got slammed in the door, and they're all kind of looking. And then uh, I said, beyond that, I said, uh, for whatever reason, I have no idea what uh, <laughs> you know. You guys did some charade at. Uh, Survivor Series and uh, whatever in January with Hunter and Sean having a falling out, you know, leading up to the finish of that match, and they're all still listening. And so I said, you know, uh, just off the top of my head, you know, I, I said what I would do is uh, maybe something where Brett is just selling his ass off for the whole damn match, you know. Uh, getting sympathy. It's his first match back since his stroke. People are going, whoa, is he going to survive this onslaught? Vinny's getting heat like any good heel should be doing. And uh, I said, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm the damn ref or not. You know, that's incidental. But uh, in any case, I said, 
breaths absorbing this, you know, tremendous ass kicking and people are starting to, you know, get their emotions kind of in place about Jesus, Brett, you know, this is, you know, and uh, I said, finally, Brett starts rallying and getting the crowd behind him and all like this and, uh, you know, standard baby face thing and starts making the big uh, balls to the wall comeback. And then, uh, lo and behold, he gets the sharpshooter on Vinny. I said, at that point, Stephanie, who's uh, sitting in front row ringside, is aghast and uh, comes running up to the ring hysterical and takes the referee and uh, daddy, daddy, you know, whatever, you know. And then uh, while she's occupying the referee, uh, Hunter comes in from behind, lowers the boom on breath and is about to give him the pedigree. And uh, everybody's looking like, you know, they could see their minds kind of getting into what I was saying. I said, at that point, who did it, who hits the damn ring of all people but the heartbreak kid, Brett's erstwhile mortal enemy, Shawn Michaels, who's had this falling out with Hunter at Survivor Series. Uh, um, also, I might add, had uh, kissed and made up with Brett. They had some kind of, uh, you know... Uh, coming together uh, a few weeks before that. And so I said, all of a sudden, he comes in and uh, gives the uh, sweet chin music to Hunter, whose arms are occupied. He's got the, uh, you know, about to give Brett the pedigree so he can't block it, and boom, he nails Hunter. And I said, from there, you either uh, have a four-way or you have Brett go over, Vinny, and uh, crowd pops. I said, all of a sudden, you've got a, the makings of this hell freezes over, uh, you know, tag team, Brett and Shawn Michaels against Finney and Hunter, I said, which would have captured everyone's imagination. And um, everybody was looking like, whoa, that's that's pretty pretty wild, you know. In their own way, I, I think, you know, it was almost like, geez, I uh, got some nondescript walk-on uh, a guy who we've perceived to be maybe an asshole for the last 20 years uh, giving us a damn finish that's better than uh, all these script writers and idiots that uh, masquerade as uh, bookers and all but anyway they're all looking like whoa that's and I saw them all, <clears throat> all looking at each other like geez uh nothing wrong with that and, uh, <clears throat> frustrating part for me was at that point Brett Brett was the only guy who gave it like the thumbs down and he said some uh, he, he couldn't do it because of this Lloyd to London thing or he could only have one match or some damn thing so, but um, but yeah it was it's an interesting uh, it was an int interesting in a lot of ways, you know, that whole thing that, uh, and stupid thing about it is Brett ended up coming back at SummerSlam anyway in some insignificant thing with Wade Barrett or some damn thing, and it's what I don't even know what the hell the, uh, but since that time, you know, sad to say, Brett hasn't, uh, 
they hadn't done anything. I'm not sure if he's physically, you know, uh, unable to or has chosen not to. Or, but you know, I I would have thought that uh, you know if, if they had done that angle, it may have uh, it may have led to other stuff. You know, business is like that. You know, one thing leads to another. You know, and uh, but. But yeah, that was that's kind of a interesting insight just into that whole thing, you know. And um, I haven't done a hell of a lot with them since, you know. I, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not as far as I know on the outs with them or anything. But at the same time, you know, as you guys may have discerned, I'm relatively outspoken. I'm not predisposed to. Uh, ass kissing too much or just being an obsequious uh, yes man or anything like that either, you know. So yes, I endeavor to be a diplomat, but I and I, I can't uh, <laughs> be too over the top and saying something's great when it isn't, you know. Definitely, definitely true. You're very outspoken, but as we hit the wind down button here, one thing I always like to ask, one thing I'm very curious about, especially somebody that's been, you know, in and around the wrestling business their whole life, and you, you're a wrestler for over 30 years. Um, what would you say would be your favorite match, or maybe matches that you've had in your career? I think, uh, I think my favorite matches were with Dynamite Kid. You know, and we were alluding to him before, but uh, as I said before, you know, he, in my estimation, possibly the greatest worker of all time. I, I'm not just saying that because I had great matches with him, but virtually you know, the sign of a really great worker is somebody who can have an incredible match with damn near anybody. You know, anyone can have a great match with a great worker, but uh, I used to see Dynamite with a myriad of marginal nondescripts and, and they would have these, you know, barn burner matches and everyone going nuts and uh and uh so I know I had so many matches with Dynamite that were like that. It, you almost became spoiled, you go with him and uh everything was you know, just exceeded your expectations and you're almost going like, Wow, did I actually do that? you know. And uh and then Next day would be like uh, Cinderella, you know, or turning into the pumpkin or whatever the hell, you know, and you're working with a, an ordinary guy, and all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, you're back to, uh, you know, having to uh, go through all the uh, slugging it out and all like that. But, uh, but you know, but yeah, I, that that would be uh, damn near any of those matches with Dynamite, and then later on some of the matches I was fortunate enough to uh, have with Pillman, and uh, when we were doing the Bad Company, you know, was uh, it, it all, it, he was one of those guys who seemed to just compliment uh, whoever he was working with, and uh, another guy that's almost forgotten, you know, he's. Uh, you know, kind of like the candle in the wind, you know, was, you know, burnt out long before uh, 
he showed up, you know, and uh, but but those were some of the guys and some of those other guys that I, I was fortunate. I had a the odd opportunity to work with some of those people like Dory and Terry and Harley Race and and uh, that that was uh, you know something I'm you know grateful for having had the opportunity and to work with some of those guys and they really uh, you know were a cut above most of the guys you see today you know they're like incredible artists out there I've always you know kind of uh, endeavored to uh, liken a great wrestler to a great artist you know you get a finish you don't need to script anything, but you get a guy like Van Gogh or Da Vinci or Rembrandt or whatever, and uh, all they do is have an image, which is the finish. And what they render on canvas makes it a masterpiece, you know. Uh, it's just their inspiration and their innate ability and all like that. And, you know, and uh, there's not enough of those guys around. I think there's a few that I... Uh, holding that high regard guy like Randy Orton uh, actually come to have a lot more regard for John Cena in the last couple of year, year or so than you know, he's really sort of uh, you know made a far better impression on me than he had prior to that and there's a few other guys you know that I uh, actually you know I thought my uh, nephew Harry had the uh, ability and all like that and disappointing to me that he seemed to uh, not come anywhere near close to maximizing his potential in the WWE I hear he's doing alright in Japan and all like that but I've seen a few like that that kind of makes you wonder and I even thought Kurt Hennig's kid was a lot better than whatever people came to perceive him as and uh I thought DiBiase's kid had a lot more potential than whatever he was allowed to, uh, you know, uh, put forth, you know. So, but, you know, I don't know what all the, obviously, the some of the behind-the-scenes dynamics that predicate those situations, though, are, you know. You know, I usually, you know, we kind of end with a legacy and, you know, where do you see, you know, your your name in the lore of pro wrestling, but obviously the heart name is entrenched deep into the to the world of pro wrestling. But one question that, you know, before we wrap up, I got to ask you now, I, you might have done a few tags, but did you ever work a match against your dad at all, either, you know, just while you were, you know, training or coming up, or did you ever get to work in the ring with him one-on-one? Um. I never did, you know. I uh, <laughs> that was part of the, you know, we can save that for another show. But um, <laughs> one of the, one of the uh, sort of subplots of the uh, situation out here with my dad and myself was uh, a bit like Vince Senior and Vince Junior, a different, you know. So he perceived me to be a bit like some kind of, uh, you know. Uh, you know, a bit of a radical, uh, unconventional, uh, you know, a bit out there or whatever, you know. And I, I never, frankly, perceived myself to be as such, but that was one of the kind of the underlying dynamics of what was 
hear, you know, my dad would have a lot of these old cronies of his out here that uh, he would be wanting me to push, you know, some of these guys like uh, Bulldog Bob Brown and uh, Sam Menneker, who was this senile announcer, and Gene Kinski, some of these guys, you know, that, uh, and I was, uh, you know, trying to be tactful, but I tell my dad, you know, these guys, you know, uh, don't hold the candles to Dynamite Kid and Brian Pillman and uh, Davey Boy Smith and all like that, and he was like, Adam, I want you to push, uh, you know, these methodical blasts from the past, so, you know, that that kind of, uh, some to some degree, kind of uh, resulted in conflict, you know, and, but I think the same was maybe the case with Vinny Sr. and Vinny Jr., you know, so I think if you see the two eras, like Bruno and Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales, and then you see uh, what followed after, you know, uh, just different mindset, you know, I suspect it's, you know, just unfortunately, uh, you know, I never sang for my father type syndrome or whatever, you know, but, but, but yeah, I still, I certainly have the highest, utmost respect and regard for my dad, you know, and um, I don't uh, in any way, shape or form by anything I'm saying hope that it sounds like in any way, shape, or form I uh, am disrespectful or whatever. It's just the way it was, you know. We didn't quite uh, see eye to eye on methodology, uh, you know. And uh, but uh, that, that's just different generations, you know, that type of thing, you know. Totally, totally. Well, Bruce, I mean, this has been an absolute pleasure on our part, and I would love to uh, take you up on that and go even deeper into some of the legacy oh, yeah, of Stampede. Scratch the surface, you know. You I know, know, I know, right? We could keep going, but uh, before we let I you go, just uh, like I'm uh, long-winded or any of that. No, but, uh, God, uh, no, not at all. I mean, this is like I'm telling you, I sit here uh, with my hand on my chin, listening to everything you've said. So. Uh, it has been phenomenal, but please let us know. Uh, you know, let the audience know where we can find uh, anything going on in the world of Bruce Hart. Yeah, as a, I'm not all that up on all the cyber and uh, all the other tweets and twitters and all that other, but I'll, I'll have Bob Johnson, uh, our PR guy, get a hold of you guys, and yeah, I'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, and I. I I'd like to thank you guys, you know, all too often when I'm talking to, uh, you know, people like you guys, uh, you know, uh, I get people that are unenlightened or, you know, don't know what the hell they're talking about or all this other, and it, you know, it doesn't uh, result in a very good interview or whatever, but you guys are intelligent insightful, respectful, and uh, all of that, so I'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, do it again, or, you know, if you guys ever just need a a comment or a perspective or anything else, uh, feel free to uh, give me a call. I'd be happy to oblige you. Well, thank you. That's an extreme, extreme honor. And uh, listen, it's like an inter- a good interview is like uh, a good match. It takes two to tango. So we really appreciate uh, your 
uh, side of it and being so candid with everything. It's just been, well, yeah, it's been, been so dynamite, awesome. You've been uh, the equivalent of a dynamite kid for me, so I uh, <laughs> can't, can't pay you a higher compliment. So. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Bruce. Have a great rest of the night, and uh, we will be in touch. We will definitely take you up on that. All the best, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, keep the flame uh, burning. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you.